God uh, uses that and why he's purposed that to take place. We want to read from Acts chapter 2, which is a picture of this gift being given at the, on the day of Pentecost. And so I'm going to ask uh, that we're going to read this together. Acts chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1. And in Acts chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1, uh, here's what Luke writes to us. He says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And they saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit gave them ability for speech. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven, and when this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. And they were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us can hear them in our own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, those who live in Mesopotamia, in Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. And they were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But some sneered and said, they're drunk on new wine. Let's see that from the very, very beginning of God giving these gracious gifts, there's already confusion on the scene of what's going on. And the good news is God wants us to be not ignorant of these things, but he wants us to grow into mature manhood and to understand why he gives these gifts and why we should use them accordingly. And so this morning, we're going to look at that more in depth. But I'd like to ask uh, one of our deacons, I'd like to ask Tony Peavy, if he would come this morning and lead us in prayer as we prepare our hearts to get ready to sing about the beauty of Christ. Would you lead us in prayer this morning, brother? Dear Lord, we thank you for the day, God, and the opportunity we have to come here and just praise your name. God, this is a day of celebration, God, that we are able as Christian people to come and just tell you how much we love you, God. We thank you, God, for the opportunity we have to worship you now in song and sing praises to your name, God. And may we take the words and, God, sing tenderly and make sure, God, that we understand, God, that we're here to celebrate you today and nothing else. Thank you for each one that's represented here today in our midst. We pray for those that are missing. God, I pray if they're sick, you would heal them. I pray you'd bring them back into our fold. Thank you, God, for Brother Jason. And we look forward to the message we have today he's brought that you spoke to his heart to send to us, God. Forgive us our sins, God, and let us always bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask you to help us to understand this text. God, I ask you to help us to rightly understand the gifts that you give, their purpose within the church. And God, I pray that you'd help us to see that you alone deserve glory and honor for what happens in the way that you gift by your grace and in the way that we live as Christians and serve together. Lord, I choose, God, the things that we associate with tongues that aren't real. God, the things that uh, are confusing to us. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to rightly understand this gift and, Lord, how you've exercised it and how you've used it. Lord, help us ultimately as we walk away today to see that you are the giver of gifts and every gift is given for your glory and for our edification. So Lord, may you teach us that this morning by your word. 
God, push back against things that we don't understand. Bring clarity and wisdom. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're preaching through 1 Corinthians. The reason I like to preach through books of the Bible in totality is because eventually you'll run up against texts that if you left to yourself, you would go, I'm not touching that. And in Southern Baptist life, the issue of tongues can be just that, the issue we'd rather not talk about. And what it usually results from is just a misunderstanding of what they are and why God gave them. And so this morning, what I hope to do as we study in 1 Corinthians 14 is to give you a little bit of background into their use and also to see why God gave them in the church and how they are meant to be used. And this goes not just for the gift of tongues. This goes for the spiritual gifts God gives for us to exercise within the body. So even if we're sitting here today going, well, you know, I, I don't believe the gift of tongues continued on, or I don't believe that we have that, or I don't believe I have it, it doesn't mean it doesn't apply to the spiritual gift you do have. The one, everyone's guaranteed at least one spiritual gift. And so what we need to see is that God gives gifts for a particular purpose, and we're to use them for that purpose. And there can be many difficulties that arise whenever we stop using them the way God intended. So some background. In the church in Corinth in the first century, there was division that, would been, that had been rising up over the seemingly more miraculous gifts like tongues and prophecy. Those were considered the two that you wanted to have. You know, nobody wanted the gift of administration. That, you know, that's boring. No, nobody wants the gift of mercy. Nobody sees that, right? Everyone wants the gift of tongues, right? I, I want to be able to demonstrate outwardly that I'm holy and awesome, right? Or the gift of prophecy, to be able to speak with great boldness and clarity the truths of God. Those are the two that were elevated over the others. And what happens in division is that it ends up causing these fractures and they're not intended, the gifts of prophecy and tongues were never intended to do that, but in fact to do the opposite. And so in the Corinthian church, there were some who were wanting and desiring the greater gifts of prophecy and tongues, but not because they loved God or because they wanted to see the church built up, but because they wanted people to go, yay, look at you, you have the gift of tongues. And in so, they've already defeated the purpose and thus division has arisen. Now, let's understand what prophecy and tongues were and how they were used. Prophecy, we see it throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament. God worked through prophets, right? Starting with Moses, worked through prophets to declare his truth and to draw his people back to faithfulness uh, to God, right? It was to point them back to their covenant responsibilities to God. And just so you know, prophecy had more to do with calling people back to covenant faithfulness than about predicting the future, right? right? We kind of have tied up prophecy as being primarily about, well, I'm telling you what's going to happen a thousand years from now. It's true, prophecy was part of that, but it was also and primarily a call to God's people to faithfulness to him, their covenant responsibility. God needed to send people to remind his people, you need to be faithful to me and follow my law. So God gave prophets. But do you know who the ultimate prophet is? Who's the ultimate prophet? Jesus. The author of Hebrews tells that in chapter 1. He says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets, but now he has sent his 
son. So Jesus was the fulfillment of all the prophets, right? The prophets and the ministry they they exercised. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. There's no need for a greater prophet after him. He is the greatest. And so what we see is that in Christ, that, that role of prophet had been fulfilled in him and so the gift of prophecy continued in the New Testament, and it was, it was God sending men who would call people and women to call people back to God and in faithfulness to him. Now tongues. In the Bible, in the Old and New Testament, tongues was also described as languages. And we see that tongues begin in Genesis chapter 11. Do you know what happens in Genesis chapter 11? That's right, brother. It's the Tower of Babel, right? The, the people decide, we're going to build a tower up to God to make a name for ourselves. And so what does God do in judgment of the people? He gives them different tongues, different languages to speak, and it causes confusion. So in the Old Testament, tongues were given as God's judgment for people who were not following him. That'd be really rough if that's what it meant in the New Testament too, wouldn't it? If the gift of tongues was simply to cause more judgment and to speak of God's judgment. But in the New Testament, you see tongues actually have redemptive purposes, right? Acts chapter 2 that I read earlier today. The day of Pentecost, God gives the gift of tongues and people begin to speak in languages that they had never studied before. I believe that was men who were speaking in languages they had not known. They had not studied. They were just immediately able to speak another language. Now, I want you to notice in Acts chapter 2, even though we're not even sure if the men speaking knew what they were saying, guess who did know what they were saying? The people hearing. And so the gift was actually God allowing the the apostles to speak these, these tongues, right, to be able to speak and proclaim the truth. And the people were hearing, and they go, wait a second, I know what he's saying. We don't even know if the person speaking knew what they were saying, but guess who did? The hearer. And it's the gift of tongues and the gift to understand was actually a picture of God's redemptive plan. He was actually purchasing back people while the gospel was proclaimed in all these different languages miraculously. And so in the New Testament, we see that the ability to speak in these human languages not known by the speaker in Acts chapter 2 was actually a gift to the hearers, that they might finally hear the gospel and believe it. Now, I'll be honest with you. Can I be honest for a second? Because right? I'm going to lie to you the rest of the time. Can I be honest with you for a second? As I hate that phrase because it always sounds like I'm about to lie to you afterwards. Okay, but in 1 Corinthians 14, it's a little different. Because in 1 Corinthians 14, you're dealing with a body of believers. It's more individualistic what he's talking about. And the picture here in 1 Corinthians 14 is that the tongues that are being spoken aren't even understood by the hearers. Acts chapter 2, they're understood by the hearers. 1 Corinthians 14, the problem with it is that there's no one in the room who understands what's being said. Thus, a problem. And a recipe for chaos, which, by the way, is what we as Southern Baptists mostly equate tongues with is chaos. But that's not the case. That's not what God intended. 
And that's not why he gave them. Okay, so does everybody understand? I want, I want to just lay out prophecy was the call, right? The call of God to people to come back to faithfulness to him. Tongues were given so that the gospel could be proclaimed. In the Old Testament, they were judgment. In the New Testament, they were redemptive. People could hear the gospel proclaimed. But here in the church in Corinth, there's a problem because they're not exercising gifts for their purpose. The purpose of gifts is, we're told, to edify and build up the church. And that's why God gives them graciously. That's why they're called gifts, is so that they might build up the church. But yet, the church in Corinth, the Christians there, some of them aren't interested in building up the church. They're interested in building up their own name. And that's why Paul must address it. Now, I also want to point out to you, as we get started very first off, the gift of tongues is not said here in Scripture to be necessary part of being a Christian. We do not see here that Paul expected everyone to speak in tongues. It wasn't necessary to be a Christian. The reason why we as Southern Baptists many times have kicked back against tongues is because we've seen them proclaimed as a necessary part of salvation. And I don't believe that's spoken of. And so here, they're not necessarily necessary for Christians, and yet they are used by God for the church's benefit. So I want to point out to you very clearly that what we see in the narrative here, as David Platt says, doesn't equal normative. Narrative does not equal normative. He's not saying because it happened here, it must happen for everyone. There's a difference between the Bible describing something and prescribing something. Do you understand? There's a difference between those two. Um, okay, um, Abraham takes his son Isaac out to sacrifice him. Okay, the, the, that's not in the Bible to say, now go do the same. That's descriptive. God's describing what took place at a particular time for particular people. Prescriptive is when God says, now go do likewise. Okay, so what we have here in the gift of tongues spoken of in 1 Corinthians does not equate that everyone must speak in tongues to be a Christian. Because this is just describing what took place, not saying, now go do likewise in all occasions. Okay, now let's get into the text. I know it's a lot of background, but it's necessary, I believe. Now, here's the first thing we see. I want to, if you're taking notes and you should take notes, this is the first point I want to point out to you. And if you need a notebook to take notes, they're right behind me. Go through these doors and there's a table and it's got notebooks on them. Go get one and bring it back in. Here's the first thing. Paul wants to show them a right understanding of gifts, a right understanding of gifts. And he walks us very plainly through that. And what I want to point out to you is just a few things. Number one, love is primary. So in a right understanding of gifts, love is primary. We just spoke about that in last week in, in, uh, in chapter 13, right? Love is primary above all things. If I have the voice of angels, but you know, if, I, if I speak in tongues of human or angels and I have not love, I'm a clanging gong, right? I'm a, I'm a noisy instrument. So love is primary. Any understanding of gifts must start with the pursuit of love. Whatever gifts God has given you, they must start with a love for the church and his people. And so at the very beginning, it's not pursue yourself or pursue your own glory. It's pursue love. Then he says, and desire spiritual gifts. So it's not bad to desire gifts. Not everyone's going to have the same ones, but it's not bad to desire God's grace in working through his church, right? 
So he doesn't say it's bad to desire that. He says spiritual gifts are to be desired. It's not wrong to want to see God's grace worked out in the church and for the edification of the body. So it's not wrong to want spiritual gifts or to desire certain gifts. So love is primary. Number two, spiritual gifts are to be desired. And number three, prophecy is preferred. That sounds weird to say about spiritual gifts, right? Like you're ranking them. But in the end, there's a reason why Paul says prophecy should be desired above tongues. He says, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. Then he gives us the reason. Anytime you see the word for, many times that means he's about to tell you because of this reason. Because for the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people but to God since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the spirit. So prophecy was to be desired above tongues because prophecy was clearer than tongues were. Tongues had some uh, unintelligibility in them. Right? So you couldn't understand sometimes. Someone might speak in a tongue and everybody's like, I have no idea what he's saying. Well, that's not to their benefit. It's to the person's benefit, but not to the, not to the church. But prophecy, someone declaring the, the truths of God, that's always in season. That's always for the edification. So he said, desire prophecy, especially that you may prophesy. And the reason is because of the intelligibility of prophecy. It could be understood clearly. Now we also go on to see further purpose of gifts. The purpose, so number four, so first you have love is primary. Number two, spiritual gifts are to be desired. Number three, prophecy is preferred. And number four, the purpose of gifts is upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation for the church. The purpose of gifts is upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation for the church. So he tells us in verse 2 and 3 that there's a purpose behind why these gifts were given. And prophecy is given, he says, in verse 3. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement, and consolation. Or upbuilding, encouragement, and consolation. So that word upbuilding or strengthening is a picture of to not tear down. So the gift of prophecy was given so that the church might be built up, not tore down. The purpose of gifts of prophecy in tongues is for the building up, not tearing down. It's also for their encouragement, he says. That's, that's the picture of coming alongside another and encouraging them. This is also the same word, paraclete, that's used for the Holy Spirit in his ministry. To come alongside and to guide and to teach. That's exactly what the gift of prophecy does within the church. Is, is it brings God truth alongside you and it, and it causes you to walk in his likeness. And then it says for consolation for the church or comfort. It's for that, that whisper in the ear. Say, keep going. Trust in Christ. And so the purpose of gifts were for that reason. And in this context, tongues are given as a kind of prayer or praise to God. The purpose of tongues was in prayer or praise to God. And so you could have a man who was speaking in tongues and his prayers and his praise to God, but the people sitting around listening to him have no idea what he's saying, and so they're not built up, they're not edified, they don't know what he's talking about. And as such, prophecy is to be preferred because it is clear proclamation of the truth of God. Number five, 
Paul points out in verse, verse 4 that tongues build up the individual and prophecy builds up the church. Tongues build up the individual. Prophecy builds up the church. He says in verse 4, the person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Why should prophecy be preferred over tongues? For this reason. Because it is about the body of Christ. It's about the church being edified and built up. And tongues is more of an individual proclamation to God. Number six, this is important, the key to tongues is in interpretation. The key to tongues is in interpretation. Because without interpretation, there is no benefit. Notice what he says in verse 5. I wish all of you spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So what's the key behind all of this? Is that it might be understood so that the church might be built up. And anything that's not understood does not build the church up. Thus, whether it's prophecy or tongues, you got to make sure people understand what you're saying. Otherwise, it fails from the beginning in its purpose. You understand what I'm getting at? As Southern Baptists, we're sitting here going, I don't know what in the world is going on here. This is crazy. And I'm pointing out to you that the problem that exists here in 1 Corinthians 14 is that these tongues aren't understood by anyone in the church. No one can interpret them. And as a result, they're to no benefit for the church. Okay, now, let's, can I, okay, this isn't meant to be a, a uh, this isn't meant to be a sermon on all things concerning tongues, all right? Just can't do it in one sitting. But I do want to point out one thing to you. There is controversy over what's being referred to here, and we just want to be upfront about it. Number one, people wonder what language is being spoken in these tongues. When no one's able to understand them, they wonder what is that. So the question is, is this a human language? that someone is speaking? Or is this a language that does not connect to any known human language at the time? Can I give you an answer? I don't know. I don't know. Here's what I do know. It doesn't have to be one way or the other. Now, this controversy came up in Southern Baptist life when it came to private prayer language. There were people who wanted to be missionaries but said that they spoke in a private prayer language to God. Not in public, not around other people. They just spoke, when they prayed to God, they prayed in another language. And there was some, oh, what do we do with that? 1 Corinthians 14 does not discount the possibility that could exist. The reason why is because 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak human or angelic tongues, but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong. So he seems to say there's different kinds. There's human, and then there's angelic. Is it possible someone could have a personal, private prayer language with God? I don't think 14 discounts it. Can I be honest with you? I've never done it. I've never spoken in tongues, either in private or in public. Although some people may think I have when I speak real fast. But I promise you I'm not. I'm speaking in human language but in the end, this could be talking about either one. 
But here's the key. It ain't about the tongue itself. It's about whether it's interpreted so that the church could understand it and be built up in the gospel. So if you have your own private prayer language where you speak to God in the closet and you use different language, that, that's up to you, baby. That's all you. You do your thing. But when it comes to the body of Christ, only if you got an interpreter do you need to stand up and start speaking. Only if it's understood. All right? Only if there is someone to say this is what that person is saying because the whole purpose behind tongues is the edification of the body. So I thought I'd just throw that out to you. I'm not saying one way or the other. I'm just saying it doesn't, you don't have to speak in tongues to be a Christian. And there's differences of opinion about what this is, whether it's human language or whether this is a, uh, a language that does not relate to any known human language at the time. Either way, the purpose is clear. It's for the building up of the church and the key to tongues is in interpretation. Someone has to interpret for it to be beneficial to the church. Now, quickly, so that was the right understanding of gifts, especially with prophecy and tongues. Now I want to show you what he addresses with the misuse of gifts. He tells us about the fact that prophecy, the purpose behind gifts, is upbuilding, right? Which means not tearing down, but building up. And here he says that the problems that they're experiencing in Corinth is that there's a tearing down that's taking place, not a building up. And it centers around this thing with tongues. Verse 6. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in other tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? And so what he's pointing out here is that tongues are not meant to be without interpretation, but that's exactly what's happening in Corinth, apparently. Apparently, people are speaking in tongues. Nobody knows what in the world they're saying, and there's no one around to interpret what's being said. And as such, what does it look like? It looks like chaos. People are just uttering stuff. And nobody, nobody, everybody's sitting there going, I don't understand you. I don't, I don't know what you're saying. And so there's great confusion, which, by the way, violates the purpose of why God gave it. If God gave tongues so the church could be built up and the gospel could be proclaimed, then why would it benefit anyone if you showed up and started speaking a language nobody knew? So tongues without interpretation leads to a violation of why God gave them. Because need I remind you, why does God give us language? Why do we need to talk at all? You ever thought about that? Why do you need to talk at all? And I know you thought that about me, but I'm thinking about you. Why do you need to talk at all? You got stuff to tell people. You want to communicate some messages to some other people so you can relate to them and they can build you up, right? We have language. God gave language as a way for us to communicate. That's the whole reason we have it. And so if you have people speaking in tongues with no interpreter, you have violated the whole reason that language exists. But yet there's people in the church of Corinth going, aren't you impressed with my gift? Don't you wish you had it? Paul says you should desire prophecy above that because then you could communicate clearly the good news of Christ. And the misuse here. And then he gives us examples. He gives us of purposeless use. Examples of purposeless use. First is musical instruments. Notice what he says. He says, even if lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognized? If I picked up a flute or a harp right now, y'all would be in for some bad news. You know what I'm talking about? If there was no purpose behind what, if I just got up there and just started, 
I mean, I could do that to the piano right now, and, and Brenda would just have to leave here. She would have to leave. She wouldn't be able to stick around. She's like, I can't listen to this nonsense. But even musical instruments are purposeful. They have a purpose to play melodies. They have a purpose to play music and notes in a particular order, in a particular arrangement for the building up and for the, for the purpose of, of building up the church. He says, what good is a musical instrument if you ain't got no notes to play that are distinct? If you just get there and start hammering away on it, defeats the purpose of having a musical instrument. Number two, military instruments. If you pick up a bugle and just start playing some random notes, listen, I did not serve in the military, but I understand that horns are used in the military for purpose, right? They call you to act in particular ways. Different calls, right? If I grabbed a bugle in the middle of the camp and just started blowing out notes, people in there wouldn't know whether we're fighting, whether we're leaving, whether we're eating. They wouldn't know what was going on. And the last thing you want in military exercise is to not know what in the world that bugle meant because you could be in trouble. So he gives us two examples. You wouldn't use those instruments without purpose, and yet you would use the gift of tongues without purpose. That shouldn't be so. Why? Because tongues are given for a reason. And so tongues without interpretation tear the church down, not build it up. They cause division, animosity, envy, jealousy, arrogance, pride. Not only that, but you could use purposeful language for selfish reasons. Verse 10 and 11. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker will be a foreigner to me. Or as my brother's uh, version said, barbaric. That word barbar is a picture of gibberish. Barbar, right? Just barbaric. He says, if I don't know what you're speaking, then you're a foreigner to me. We're, we, we can't relate to one another. You can't benefit me. I can't benefit you. And so you could actually use purposeful language for selfish reasons, right? Why would somebody want to speak like that? Well, to elevate themselves. Pay attention to me. Look at me. Not look at God. Look at me. See what I'm saying? Isn't it cool? Don't you wish you knew what I was saying? And so it seems like in the church in Corinth, they actually delighted in speech you couldn't understand. They thought it was a higher calling. You were a greater Christian if you could speak language that no one could understand. Well, that violates the reason why God gives them. It violates the purpose behind language. It violates the purpose of why the church assembles together. So, we've seen a right, Paul gives a right understanding of gifts. He lays out the misuse of gifts. And then in verse 12, he gives us, the, he tells us to prioritize the building up of the church prioritize the building up of the church. We do this, number one, by using self-control. Verse 12. So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. You can control it. The, the gift of tongues was not seen as something you couldn't control, like a spastic reaction. It was something you could control. You could do it and use it correctly which is why we need to be careful when tongues are used in a way that don't show that. Because God here tells us that we are to use self-control. We are to strive. We're to seek after to excel in building up the church. That means you can control it. And that reminds us back to verse 1 where he says, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts. Seek after that for the building up of the church. So 
We prioritize the building up of the church as we use self-control when we use our gifts. Number two, because there should be a desire for interpretation. We prioritize the building up of the church with regards to tongues in a desire for interpretation. Verse 13 through 19, he says, Therefore, if the person who speaks in another tongue should pray that he can interpret, for if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful, what then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsider say amen at the giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you may be very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in other tongues more than all of you, yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others than 10,000 words in another tongue. So because of the purpose of language in general, and the use of language or tongues in the church, one should desire interpretation. Regardless of whether you have the gift or tongues or not, you should desire someone who has the gift of interpretation. Because not only does God give the gift of speaking in tongues, he also gives the gift of interpreting what people are saying. One should desire that. So self-control and a desire for interpretation builds up the body. And that's what they should desire above all things. Number three... They should desire to be mature in their thinking. So use self-control, desire interpretation, and mature in your thinking. Verse 20. He says, brothers and sisters, do not be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regard to evil and adult in your thinking. Paul wants them to mature in their understanding of the gifts of God. He doesn't want them to remain ignorant. He wants them to mature in it. Why? Because that's what builds up the church is a mature thinking towards these gifts. And what the Corinthians should invest themselves in is not trying to find more ecstatic gifts to use, but that instead they would desire that people would understand the gospel. They would understand the message of Christ clearly, and nothing should stand in the way of that. Be mature in your thinking. Don't stay as a child, but understand why God gave gifts and how to use them for his glory in the church. Paul doesn't desire that they stay where they're at, but that they mature in their thinking towards these things. Then finally, so we have the right understanding of gifts. We have the misuse of gifts. We have the prioritizing of the building up of the church. And then finally, to see the difference of tongues as redemptive versus judgment. Tongues as redemptive versus judgment. Remember I told you earlier on that in the Old Testament, tongues were given as judgment towards the people. Here in verse 21, he quotes Isaiah 28, which tells us that God sent tongues to the people as part of his judgment against them for not listening to the prophet he sent. The people didn't listen, so guess what God did? He said, I will speak to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me. So in the Old Testament, you see tongues as judgment, but in the New Testament, we see them as redemptive. But here's why Paul's addressing this. When the Corinthians use tongues against the purpose God gave them, they revert tongues back to judgment. They revert people back. Instead of the redemptive purpose God brings with tongues, they become judgment again. 
Because the people can't understand. They, they can't grasp what's being said. They're left in darkness. It shouldn't be the case. Then Paul goes on to say, tongues were given as signs to unbelievers. Verse 22, speaking in other tongues then is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Why would tongues be a sign to unbelievers? How could tongues be a sign to unbelievers of God's redemptive purposes? Well, I mean, you can see the gospel clearly communicated, showing and speaking of the fact that he sent his son to rescue and to redeem. You can see God reverting or basically turning back the judgment of the Old Testament, that tongues were no longer given as judgment, but instead were given as redemptive Right, And so in speaking in tongues, it's actually the unbeliever who's able to look upon them and go, wow, God is communicating his message in unbelievable ways. But then he says, while prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So prophecy is primarily to point God's people back to faithfulness to him. Listen, I don't believe that I have to bring you any further utterance. I believe that what we need is right here. So when I speak of prophecy today, I speak of the fact that I believe those with the gift of prophecy are those who are able to communicate this word in an intelligent, clear, understandable way with power. Personally, that's how I view it. I don't believe we have to have someone predicting the future for us. We have right in God's word what we need to know to be a Christian and to live in Godness. I'm, God can work however he wishes. But I believe what's being spoken of here are those who are able to take even the deep things of God and explain them in a way that makes it easy to understand. Have you ever been around people who are able to do that? They're able to take the word of God, and when they share it, you're like, yeah, makes sense. I get it. That's the gift God's given to the church are those who can take his word, his clear truth, and proclaim them, and people go, you know what? I get it. And that is a gift to believers to mature them up in their belief, to not stay as children. But when prophets come along and they're able to speak and communicate clearly the word of God, they are built up because those deep things of God that almost seem like mysteries we'll never figure out. Some of them are, but not all of them. But when he speaks, you're able to go, oh, I get it. I get it. And the plan of God is seen all the more clear than before. But then he goes on to say, it's not ultimately about the gifts, it's about God. He says in verse 23, if therefore the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in other tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Could you imagine walking into that? Walk into a church where everybody's speaking in tongues and nobody's knowing what we're all saying. If you were an outsider and you walked into that, what would you think? Uh, time to go. Uh, church down the street looked really nice. <laughs> Let's go check them out. If you walked in here and everybody was speaking tongues and nobody understood what was being said, you'd, you'd get back in the car. And that's what he's saying, that Tongues, while desirous, the clear preaching of the gospel is above all of those things for the benefit of not only the unbeliever but the believer. He says, but if all are prophesying in verse 24 and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he is convicted by all and is called to account by all. If someone else, an outsider, walks in and everyone's prophesying, proclaiming the truths of God with great clarity, guess what? They'll walk in, they'll say, I understand that. And they'll be convicted of it, he says. He says, when the, when the gospel is preached, when prophecy goes forward, even outsiders who come in will be convicted. 
That doesn't mean one-to-one ratio. It's not a formula. It just basically says he's going to use his word to rescue hearts. Not every person who hears it is going to believe, but if someone walks in as an outsider and everyone's proclaiming the truth of God in an understandable way, guess what? More likely than not, they're going to be convicted of sin. They're going to understand their need for Christ, and they're going to worship him. He says in verse 25, the secrets of his heart will be revealed, and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. And that is the whole purpose to why God gives gifts at all, is that people would fall down before him and go, you are God. You're God. And I see it in the gifts you've given your church. So, what do we know? What do we walk away with? First of all, if you have a private prayer language, good on you. Don't show up here and start speaking it unless you've got someone going to interpret for you. Make it clear. And God gives gifts for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. Whether it be tongues or prophecy or hospitality or any of those other things, God gives them so that the church might mature and grow. So as you exercise your gifts in this church, what you should be thinking primarily above all things is not how do I get glory for myself as I do this, but pursue love and the glory of God. And that's the right exercise of the gifts God's given. It's not ultimately about the gifts, but about the God who gives them for the redemption of people, for the redemption of unbelievers and the building up of the body of Christ. So what we, do, what we need to do is stop worshiping ourselves, but worship the God who gives and use those gifts as he intended for the edification and building up of the body of Christ and that unbelievers might hear the gospel clearly and repent and trust in him. So we must use our gifts as God intended. And when when gifts are used as God purposed, guess what? The body will grow up into mature manhood. Christians will grow up in maturity if we use the gifts God gives us the way he intended for them to be used. And just so you know, Christ is our example. Because he rightly was obedient in everything. And guess what he did? He stooped to us to make the gospel plainly clear to us. The gifts God's given us is that we might follow after the example of Christ in making the gospel quite clear to all who need to hear, both unbelievers and believers, to call unbelievers to repent and believers to mature. And so you're in this room this morning, you're one of the two. You're either an unbeliever who needs to repent, and I pray I've communicated the truth of God clearly to you to see that there is a God, we are sinners, that we take good gifts of God and we use them for our own devices, for our own glory, and we would be lost without any hope if we stayed in that state. And yet God sent his son Jesus as our redeemer so that we might be saved by his sacrifice on the cross, by his death and resurrection, he would pay the price for our sin because we're like the Corinthians, we're sinning it up. And what we needed was one who would come and pay for our penalty for our sin before God. And Jesus did so. He came, took on the form of man, died on the cross and rose again so that we might be forgiven of our sin. And as such, as Christians, we now model that as we live and as we work within the church. Everything we do is in pursuit of love and the glory of God. We want to see him lifted high in everything we do, regardless of your spiritual gift. Use it for the clear proclamation of the good news of Jesus and the building up of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Use it all for his glory. In that, God will build the church and he will receive the glory he deserves. Do you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its clarity. And I thank you, Lord, that 
you show us the purpose behind why you give these gifts. God, I pray I've been faithful in sharing this text. And I pray, Lord, that you would use it to call unbelievers to repentance. God, that people this morning might see that if they're trusting in themselves, that, God, they cannot earn salvation, but, God, they can only have it through the free gift of your son that you've given. Lord, so I pray what they'll count on is not their own work, but on the finished work of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. God, I pray that we might use our gifts as Christians in this church to clearly proclaim the gospel, the good news of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus so that all unbelievers will repent and worship you. And God, we also pray this morning that you'll help us as Christians to not use our gifts in a way that would tear down the church, but in a way that would build it up. And so, Lord, I pray that whatever our giftedness is, you'd help us to see that we didn't earn that gift. You just gave it by your grace. And, Lord, may we use all of our gifts, whatever they are, to clearly proclaim the gospel and to build up your body. So, Lord, help us to do that. Guard us against pride. Guard us against comparing ourselves to one another. Guard us, guard us against arrogance of thinking that we're better than our neighbor because we have this gift or that. And help us to see, God, that the playing field is level at your cross. There's no one greater than the other. But God, we're all desperate sinners in need of your rescue. And we are desperate Christians in need of your grace this morning. So help us, God, to, to live for you and to serve you in holiness and in truth so that you might receive glory and honor. God, I pray that you'll save people today. I pray you'll call them out of lostness and you'll call them into your kingdom. God, I pray that you'll call Christians to obedience to you, whether it be in baptism or whether it be in, in church membership or, or God, whatever it is you've called them to, God, that they would be obedient to follow after you as they serve. God, may you do it all for your glory. God, that we might walk away from this place going, you are amazing, God. We're nothing. And you are glorious. Help us, God, to see that all the clearer today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.